For those of you who have not been here this week, it's been just like this every night. (laughs) Excellent singing, wonderful worship together. Singing to each other and singing praise to God. Great is thy faithfulness and we will rise up and we'll lay our burdens down and our crown down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said we're going to the other side, brethren. We're going to the other side. He's promised. We stay with him. We live with him. And we walk with him. And we give 100% of our life to him. We surrender all. We sing the song, I surrender all. Let's not lie in song. Let's do it. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We have a wonderful crowd as we've had every night. What a week. What a week. It will go down in my memory and it will be in my top five of experiences at the church in my life. And I want to thank you for that. I am not worthy of the blessings that I have received this week by any stretch of the imagination. And I know that. I know that there will be some that will be going home this afternoon back to your home congregations and the young people. Uh, that have been here supportive of this meeting's great energy all week. If you want energy, uh, young people will give it to you. And that's why we love to be around them so much as we grow older, because we feed off that energy of each other. Thank you, young people, for the effort and for the 100% dedication that you've given to this meeting. Uh, Thank you for uh, all to the older people that Uh, have given so much of your time and your work and your labor in in every way and poured out your spirit in this meeting. Thank you so much. Uh, We will close the meeting uh, this afternoon with a final service, and I want to talk about this afternoon, Help Thou My Unbelief. Our faith is not perfect. It's not. And we want to talk about that and concentrate a little bit on the things that we need help in our unbelief as the closing Uh, lesson. This morning I would like to direct your attention to Ephesians the second chapter. The Apostle Paul writes there to the church at Ephesus, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Have you ever considered that the world has a course much like a river? And it's controlled and it's directed by uh, the fallen and by the power that that is in this world. Paul said that we labor and we fight against principalities and powers. We do. There's a course of this world. We once walked in that course of this world. And according to that world, we were in the flow and we just went right with it. And we didn't know any different. He says, according to the prince of power of the air. So we see that there is a force in this world and there's an influence in this world and at one time, you and I were walked according to that course and that power. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This course of the world will continue until Jesus finally says it's enough. And he calls a halt to everything. And the day of the Lord will come. It's coming. Verse 3 says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. 
And verse 4 says, but God. (laughs) And that's your experience and my experience. If we've obeyed the gospel and we belong to Jesus, we look back at our life and look at the course in which we were traveling and we saw surely destruction and surely we saw that there is no happiness to be found. There's no filling of our cup. There's nothing to be had except struggle and suffering and the wages of sin. But God. I love that two words, six letters. But God. Where were you? And then God. God intervened in our life. He intervened in this world. But God. It's a distinction, if you will. A demarcation of our path. And it was changed by the grace of God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. As we contemplate our life, as we contemplate this morning the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, his body and his blood, we have to complicate, uh, contemplate the mercy of God. We contemplate this demarcation point in our life, but God, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive. This dead in trespasses simply means that we were separated from God, that we were apart from him and we were away from him and we were dead and without hope and there was no resurrection in our life, but God. God intervened, and God raised us, raised us from the dead, the old dead man of trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. This alive then is a reconciliation and a union with Christ. We were once estranged from Christ, now we're made alive. By by grace you have been saved. The grace involved there is but God. God changed everything by giving his son and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Are you sitting in heavenly places this morning in Christ Jesus? I think so. If you're his. Ephesians 2 is a picture of the past. Verse 1 says we were dead in trespasses and sins. We lived according to the path of the world in verse 2. Verse 3 says we lived fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Whatever our body wanted, we tried to fill that desire. And we were directed in many, many paths in many, many ways, but they were all the course of the world and away from Christ. Verse 12 says we were aliens and strangers. Verse 4 says, but God... Loved us. It's a gospel of reconciliation. This morning you and I can live a victorious life because we have been reconciled by the grace of God and through his shed blood to Jesus Christ, his son. And that mediator who holds God on one hand and man on the other has joined us together and we have been reconciled. 
This morning as we contemplate Jesus Christ and his suffering and his death, we contemplate then a gospel of reconciliation. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you're no more strangers. It's a demarcation. We were once strangers to God. Now we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21 says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. There are three metaphors that are given in this passage in Ephesians 2 that enlighten us regarding the hope of our calling and the riches of his glory. I want to speak to the church this morning, to members of the Lord's church, of how a victorious life that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not pretending for a moment that you don't have troubles. We've talked about that all week. We've talked about how we can walk around in condemnation. And we've talked about how so many people uh, uh, are living without the hope of going to the other side. But Jesus said to his apostles when he boarded that ship, let us go to the other side. We're going to the other side. And we are in the riches of his glory now if we're in Jesus Christ. Number one, he says, we're fellow citizens with God. We're members of his household, and we're built upon a foundation, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. These are the three metaphors. Fellow citizens, a household, and a foundation of Jesus Christ and our building being built upon that foundation of Jesus Christ and the apostles. And we become a building so the church then is a metaphor of a building. It's a metaphor of a household. It's a metaphor of being citizens in a kingdom. We're no longer strangers. That's also metaphorical language of strangers, but we know what a stranger is. When I first came out here in about 1989, I was a stranger to you. I came as a young man with a young family and my little, my little girls who are now mothers. One of them's a mother, and one of them is grown, married, a businesswoman. But I came out here, and we held our little babies, but we were strangers to you. But we didn't stay strangers long. But a stranger is simply that person that you're not known, that is not known. He says at one time, in, to God, we were strangers. No wonder in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, But not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not many, done many wonderful works? But I will say unto them, and make a profession, Depart from me, I never knew you. Strangers. Since that time in 1989 when Truman Teal brought us out here and I was scared to death and uh, living in intimidation of Truman and, every, <laughs> and everybody else, I soon found out that you're no different than I am. 
I soon found out that because we're separated by 1,100 miles, and because you make your living on flat land, and I've made my living rolling rocks down hills, <laughs> you're really no different than I am. We're no longer strangers. Now, that's not to say that I know every one of you personally. I don't mean that. But I know you through the kingdom of God, and I know, and we're not strangers, and I can come into this building now, and I know that you have my interest at heart because we're not strangers. And I have your interest at heart because we're not strangers. We're made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we know each other. A person who does not known or is not known in a particular place of a community is called a stranger. A person whom one does not know or with whom one is not familiar is a stranger. I meet many strangers in my day. I remember uh, one day I was at a restaurant and I was by myself. I happened to be by myself. I guess I was traveling. I don't remember. But I was standing there beside this woman and we were getting ready and I, she wanted a seat and I wanted a seat and they thought we were together and she speaks up real quick. We're strangers. She didn't want to sit with me. She didn't know me. She wanted to make sure that the, uh, the seating hostess there knew that we were strangers. And she said it almost like that. We're strangers. I don't know this character. It's not the case with us. It's not the case with our relationship with Jesus either. If we belong to him. Are you a stranger to the Lord? Do you know him? Do you know how he thinks? Do you know what he desires for you? Well, if you're his child, you're not a stranger. He says also in this metaphorical language that you're no more strangers and foreigners. Not a foreigner. 1990, I was sent to Japan by my company for almost a month over there and uh, I didn't realize how easy you could get lost over there. You look up and every sign is in Japanese and I'm a hillbilly from Tennessee. Truman Till told me, he said, boy, I'd have loved to see you get off that airplane. That's what he told me. He's a big old tall red-headed rascal and you walking through uh, the airport there in Tokyo and can't read anything. And I looked like I was lost, sure enough. Felt lost. You know why? Because I was a foreigner. I was not native to that land and that country. It was not my language. I was not at ease. I carried a little business card from the hotel around with me all the time. And it had the name of the hotel and the address of the hotel because I wanted to give it to a taxi cab driver if I got lost. He could take me back to the hotel. Had no idea. Are you a foreigner? I want to tell you, if you're a foreigner in this body this morning, there's a problem. If you feel like you don't belong here, there's a problem. And the problem may just be with your relationship. Maybe it's not your neighbor's relationship. Maybe it's not that person sitting next to you that has the problem. Maybe it's you. Maybe your relationship with Christ is not what it should be. When we have our gospel meeting, we will do a canvas of the area every year. We take a newcomer's list, 
Ty's son-in-law came up with this idea, and it's an excellent idea. We take a newcomer's list, and we will go and visit people. And Jameson and I went to a house, and, and we knocked on this door, and this woman comes in, and we tell her who we are so we wouldn't be strangers. <laughs> we became acquainted with her for a few minutes. And then she said, me and God has a problem. Would you pray with me? I've got a problem with God. And I thought, how's that going for you? You've got a problem with God? You're wrestling with God? How, are you winning that, that wrestling match? I've got a, and you know, she was a foreigner to God. She didn't feel at ease in the relationship and in the comfort of her country. When I came back home from Japan... And we lost an engine over the Pacific Ocean in the way back, and that will wake you up. And they told us that we were going to land in San Francisco, which I can't tell you exactly how I feel about San Francisco. But I was sure happy to land in San Francisco. And I wouldn't want to live there. But I was sure happy to land in San Francisco because I was in my country. And I'd landed safe and sound. And I felt at ease even in San Francisco at this point in my life. Now I felt better when we landed in Dallas. <laughs> but you get the message. To be a foreigner then is a difficult situation for any of us because uh, we're not at home there. I didn't have a home to go to. Many people feel like they're a foreigner in a church service, or they feel that they're a stranger with church people. Maybe the problem is not with them, but maybe it's with you. And maybe it's your relationship with Christ. Do you feel like that you're a stranger to God? Do you feel like you're a foreigner in the kingdom of God? A foreigner also may be familiar with the country, but is limited. I was limited in my rights when I was in Japan. I just couldn't do anything I wanted to do, go anywhere I wanted to go. I couldn't stay there as long as I would like to stay if I wanted to stay there longer. You get the idea. They lack full rights because they are a foreigner. In the kingdom of God, that is true also. Our rights as a citizen of this kingdom then grants us full rights and full accessibility to the promises that God has given us. But, but God, because of his intervention, because of his grace, now we are fellow citizens with the saints in the kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom. When I look at you, I see you as an American, and I love this country. I do. I'm patriotic. I love this country. I appreciate everybody that has sacrificed to be where I'm at. My father, my dad, my dad was in that generation, and many of the people in the church over the years has been a, a member of that generation that sacrificed greatly so that you and I can be where we are today and sitting in these pews today. But I'm more thankful to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. That citizenship holds much more value 
There are two kingdoms recognized in the scripture. John 18, 36 says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. There are two kingdoms recognized, one of the world and one that is not of the world. Now, I love the kingdom of the United States, if you want to put it that way. I love my country. I am patriotic. I would serve my country. Be happy to do that in any form, in any way I can. But Jesus says his kingdom is not physical. We do not need to live as though we are not citizens of the kingdom of God, brethren. We need to be concerned about our citizenship in the kingdom. That kingdom is a higher kingdom. You know, the kingdoms, they are on levels. The animal kingdom, obviously, is lower than the uh, kingdom of man. And the kingdom of God is higher than the kingdom of man. Which level are you living on? If your focus is on the kingdom of this world, then you are opposed to Jesus and what he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He calls us not to be militant physically, but be militant spiritually. My militant spiritual attitude should be one that I'm going to fight for your soul. I'm going to sacrifice for your soul. I'm going to give of myself for your soul. Let's quit being concerned to the point that we're placing a physical kingdom above the spiritual kingdom. Let's live for the kingdom of God. Why? Because, but God. When those words, but God, it changed everything. We would be in service to the kingdom of this world and surely lost and in destruction, but God. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. Jesus is the king. He's the king of this kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now that hearing his voice is not talking about some miraculous calling. It's talking about heeding his voice. The mandates that he puts out, the commandments that he puts out, many people want to ignore. And they want to hold those mandates and those commandments and those laws as something of less importance because they're concerned more about the physical than they are the spiritual. But brethren, we're citizens of the kingdom. Our calling and our hearing should be that of the voice of Christ, the king of this kingdom, and we should heed his call, and we will heed his call if we will hear it, acknowledge it, and obey it. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our fight the fight is not one of uh, a militant position of this world. Though we may love our country, though we may love 
uh, our people in every way and the citizens of this country. Our fight is not of this world. We wrestle not against these things. But we wrestle against spiritual things that are going to destroy us. This world will destroy us. And if you die, and your fight has been one to change a code or a moral ethic that a community sends to speak out or a, 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 a wrong that has been done to people, you may accomplish something. I'm not saying you're not. But brethren, if you die not a citizen of the kingdom of God, you've lost everything. Though you may have gained some moment of uh, victory in this world in the flesh, but you've lost eternally. I'm not telling you not to be a good citizen of this country. I love this country. I go to Branson and I watch those shows and, I, and my heart gets to pounding when they start doing the patriotic stuff. Yours does too. But there's a higher kingdom. Let's understand our battle. Let's understand the battle and let's understand the victory. But God! The victory is in but God. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God carries many characteristics, but one characteristic it does not carry is flesh. Not the things of the flesh. Righteousness and peace and joy and the Holy Ghost are all spiritual matters. They're not fleshly matters. And if you're looking for righteousness in this world of men, of flesh, the carnal man, I'm sorry, you're not going to find it. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Apostle Paul says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There is none righteous, no, not one. And if we're concerned about righteousness, then we have to look to the kingdom of God, not to the kingdom of man. If you're looking for joy in your life, and I'm not talking about happiness, there is a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is generally when something is happening. And that's where that word is derived from. Happiness has to have something happening. And that's why you see so many unsettled people in this world because they're always waiting and wanting for something to happen that's going to make them happy. Joy is different. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a characteristic of the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And joy comes then from God. And it is produced in our life. That even though when we are living in those times where the happenings are bad, we can have joy. The kingdom is also everlasting. And that's another uh, comparison, if you will, of the flesh. And the difference is the world here we know is temporal. And it's passing. The things that are seen, the scripture says, are temporal. But the things that are not seen are everlasting. 2 Peter 1 Verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This kingdom 
The kingdom that you're a part of, if you belong to Jesus Christ, will never end. It will be carried up into heaven and there exists forever. This kingdom that we're talking about, this, that uh, God allowed us to be a part of, but God is gained through admittance of birth, just like the kingdom of man. In a similar manner, and I believe that's what John 3 is comparing. I was born to my mother and my dad. I didn't ask to be born into my family, but I was born. And I took on the characteristics of a man because I had the genetic makeup of a man. As a matter of fact, some people have said that I uh, can look and act like my dad somewhat. Now, you'd have to take off about 100 pounds for my dad to make me look like him, I think, too, very accurately. But I guess some of the speech and some of the mannerisms, that's the way we are, isn't it? I can kind of pick out a Pinkerton for miles away. <laughs> and I love that. And I've had people walk up to me at home and said, you're a Parkhurst, ain't you? And I said, that's Parkhurst. <laughs> yes, I'm a Parkhurst. <laughs> John 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Our entrance into the kingdom is then by a birth. It is a spiritual birth. We become citizens of that kingdom. When I was born in America, I became a citizen of America. I'm an American. I'm an American by virtue of birth. When I'm born into the kingdom of God, I become a Christian. They were called Christians first at Antioch, the scripture says. One who belongs to Christ. One who follows Christ. A disciple of Christ. I'm not ashamed to be called a Christian, are you? I'm thankful for that citizenship. Are you? But as citizens of a kingdom, just as I am citizen of the United States of America, a Tennessean, I have certain privileges and I have certain responsibilities. Luke 19, 12 says, He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive himself for himself a kingdom and to return. This parable is talking about Jesus and coming to this far country and to receive a kingdom. And he called his ten servants and delivered them to ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Brethren, we are in a kingdom as members of the Lord's church. And our command is the same, if you will, in so many ways. Occupy till I come. What are we occupying? We're occupying our kingdom. And the kingdom of uh, the Christ should pervade all the kingdoms of the world. That's why he compares us to leaven. That's why he compares us to salt. A little bit of salt, it doesn't take much. But it will affect the whole meal. It doesn't take much for us to affect and change people's lives. I don't think that we are commanded to give up ground. When the United States went into Germany and occupied Germany, they did that not intending to give up ground. We don't surrender to Satan. 
We don't give up ground. We occupy till the Lord comes. Not only that, uh, we are to further our ground. That's why Jesus gave the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We occupy and we extend. Why? Because this kingdom of God is eternal. <laughs> and it's the Lord's kingdom. Matthew 5, verse 11 says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I reside in the kingdom of the United States and I have as a result the power and protection of the laws of the United States. As a member then of God's kingdom, I also receive the power and protection of the king. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, verse 12, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets which were before you. Brethren, we have the power and the protection of the king. We need to allow him to protect us and not to take matters into our own hands. You remember what the apostle Paul uh, said and quoted Vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Let's not fret. Let's not worry over uh, and doubt God in his faithfulness, his justice, and his mercy. I'm under the power and the protection of the king. Romans 12, 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We have the promise of the king himself. That's why our physical militant ideas oftentimes result in terrible failure. Because we're going against this verse. As a member of the kingdom of Christ, then I have close friends. I consider you a close friend. I consider you to be someone I can count on. And that's what a friend is, isn't it? I want you to think about Matthew 8, verse 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down, sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of God. That fellowship that we have with each other is also a spiritual fellowship with those who have gone on before us. I talked last week about the church universal in some degree and the fact that my parents who are now deceased, they were members of the Lord's church, they were members of the kingdom, they are still members of the kingdom. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they belong to God. We belong to God. Therefore, we have that fellowship through this common union with God. We also, as the kingdom, we walk with the king. Walking with the king. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 5. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? 
And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. We walk with the king. Before we get to that slide, I want to tell you a, a story that I heard about a kingdom of many years ago, probably sometime in the uh, Dark Ages, and when people tried to approach the king, and if they didn't have permission to the king, if they went in without permission, it cost them their life many times. And there was this young boy once, and he went in and he ran to the king. And people didn't know him, and they said, oh, he's going to die. And he came out from that meeting with the king. And they said, how did you do that? He said, he's your king, but he's my father. And there's a big difference. I walk with the king, but I also walk with my father. I walk with him. And I can approach him because I'm his son. Because I live in this kingdom that he rules. We are also members of God's household. Ephesians 2.19 says, But fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. 1 John 3 and 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We walk with the king, but we're in his household. We're there by adoption. I have a soft spot in my heart for adoption more now than ever, because it's part of our family. And then I realized that I'm there also by adoption. I have not earned that through a natural birth. God has adopted me. And that spiritual birth that we talked about in John 3 and 5 is a spiritual birth of adoption. Whereby we come and we follow Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. And he accepts us into his household. And I am his child. And I have the rights of a child. And you do too. We're members of an intimate family. The child of a king always holds rank. You hold rank with God. You can approach his throne with boldness. Not with pride. There's a difference. Approach it with boldness because you are his son. Zechariah 2 and 8 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath sent me unto the nations which spoiled you, for he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. I don't know if you've considered this when, or not. Probably many of you have. I'm not a profound thinker by any means and don't pretend to be. But I've, I've decided in my life that I'm going to be careful about what I say about my church brethren. I want to uphold them. I want to be long-suffering. I want to be forbearing. You know why? Because I've got two daughters. I love them dearly. They're the apple of my eye. Both of them are. Someone comes to me and starts talking about my daughters, my grandchildren. It's easily then to get stirred up, isn't it? 
Do you think it's any different with God? When we start thinking about our fellow church members and we start considering them, listen, they're the apple of his eye if they belong to him. I see the weaknesses in my daughters and I see the the faults in my daughters. I'm not blind, but I love them. I want to present to you an idea this morning that God loves you. And when someone attacks you, that, you they're attacking God. They're attacking His child. And don't be that guilty party that attacks. This final metho- metaphor is we're the foundation. We're on a foundation. Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The foundation, an even deeper level of our relationship with Jesus. Even deeper, if you will, than being a foreigner or a stranger and being made nigh through citizenship. Even deeper, if you will, through being a member of the household of God through adoption. But we are a habitation of God. A house not built with hands. Each member being that ingredient in this house. This building block is not defined by our material, but by the ability of the builder. We're scattered, but joined. We have different lives, different jobs, different races, different materials that we're all composed of that has come apart to be made our life. But then we're joined together by God to become a habitation for him. The Apostle Paul said that in Romans 8 and 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We become a living sacrifice according to Romans 12 verse 2. According to Peter, that we are lively stones, living stones built in a house of God. A living, growing habitation of God. And the cornerstone is Jesus. All buildings are based off the corner. All measurements of the building are based off that corner. You cannot make a building square or plumb. Well, you might make it plumb, but you can't make it square without that corner is set. And when a corner is off and that cornerstone is off, then the whole building will be off. Jesus is true. He's faithful. There's no... Poor measurements in him at all. There are us, but not him. And all measurements of this building then have to come off him as the cornerstone of this building. Your life has to be calibrated by him because he's the cornerstone. Ephesians 4 verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ.
one building of God. We call it the church, made up of individual members wherein the Spirit of God can dwell, wherein we are calibrated by Jesus being the chief corner, by, by being the cornerstone, the foundation being Jesus and the prophets and us. In Him we live, we move, and have our being. In Him, by Him, through Him, through His death, blood, burial, and resurrection. Everything is based on Jesus and it's not you. You are not the cornerstone. The blessing of being in the kingdom of God is we are a citizen with full rights, a household of God, a living stone in the building of God with Christ as our cornerstone, living, growing habitation of God. If not, where would we be but God? And what a building he's making in you. What an ingredient of the kingdom that he's making in you. If you're not a member of the Lord's kingdom, you can be. This morning we're going to offer an invitation, ask you to come up and take a seat on the front row. If you need baptism, if you need to take that step of obedience to the gospel, do that this morning. Don't wait. If you're getting ready to go home and you've not been baptized, don't wait. Do it this morning. If you need help, this building fitly joined together, we will pray with you as a unit of the body of Jesus Christ. Approach that throne, and we can approach that throne because now we are not just citizens, we are a part of the household, and we have rights as a child of God through Jesus Christ and his death. If you're here this morning and we can assist you in any way, we ask you to come. Take a seat on the front as together we stand and sing.